Hello, this is Gidon Rothstein, and this is Parakhov Gimel of Sefer Mishle, the 23rd chapter of the Book of Mishle. We're going to study it with the uh, commentary of the Ralbag, and I'll just tell you ahead of time that the Ralbag is extremely focused on the question of acquisition of wisdom and the kinds of wisdom that are important to inquire, acquire, sorry. So Sukim Aleph through Vav are going to be talking about different distractions there may be from acquiring such wisdom and the requirement the need to avoid them. So the Pasuk starts off, Pasuk Aleph, Ki Teshev, Lilchom et Moshel bin Tavin et Ashel Fanecha, when you sit to have bread with a ruler, consider well who is before you. So, Et Moshel, the, the Ralbag says, when you sit down, he talks, he says, we're talking about Mizona Chokhmah, the food we're talking about here is wisdom, and you'll have food like that, Im Hamukshel Ba'adam, so it's not talking about an actual ruler, it's talking about that which rules men, meaning our evil inclinations or our lesser inclinations. So he says it's your seikha, it's your intellect, and it's going to call you out from where you're living to accept wisdom and to get wisdom, and you should understand the project, because if, so the simple English is, thrust a knife into your gullet if you have a large appetite, meaning that the the lechem we're talking about here is not good lechem. So he said, it's talking about seicha, but the point is that you're having food with your powers of, of regular enjoyment. It's talking about not the moshel, the ruler of the intellect, the intellect being the ruler, but the ruler is the ordinary pleasures. And therefore you have to stick a knife in your gullet, and he says, so he says, not a knife, he says, kutsim thorns, and then you're swallowing things, so, so that they'll choke you if you try to swallow these pleasures. In other words, key, so the Pesukim are talking about the fact that as we sit to have bread, have food, we have these qualities that want to enjoy pleasure and that they get in the way of acquiring wisdom so that we have to understand to stop ourselves from simply eating as much as we'd like to. Don't eat his tasty foods because it's lechem kizavim, meaning that you're going to enjoy these pleasures and they're all meaningless. They're vanity in the sense of having no real value. They have no, as the Ralbach says, toelet. They have no utility and they have no leftover. They don't leave anything. So you go for a fun day of pleasure, whatever pleasure it may be. And later in the chapter, he'll talk about certain specific pleasures that are the most dangerous and most problematic because of how much they draw you. But when you're done, it's all over. It was just pleasurable. Now, you could argue, and the Rebbe does mention this at all, I just want to put down, you could argue that it's important because it leaves afterwards a sense of good feeling and an ability to do good things and to study more. So it's not that he's against pleasure totally. There may be, or he may be, but I don't know that I am, or that the Rambam was, or that we have to be. But there may be some value to pleasure, but what he's pointing out is that as you come to take of this pleasure, because it's just you have to control your appetite significantly, because if you don't control your appetite for these things, you're likely to get so involved in them, and then not to have anything left over, because they'll have lost their value, and you won't, they don't have any real meaning in and of themselves. Now, another example of a simple thing is, don't work yourself hard to try to get wealthy, and the reason is, uh, because it's going to lead you, it's going to lead you not to strive for Bina, which in this chapter the Rabbag defines as Bina being the attempt to understand God, to get close to God, to work on God. So the Rabbag says, it doesn't say don't try for money, don't work to make a living. So he says, after you find what is enough for you, 
So then you shouldn't work to get wealthy because that will keep you from bina. It'll lead you to spend your time on wealth and on getting more and more money, which is the opposite of what he says, which is the opposite of what wealth is all about. Because wealth is all about having enough so that El So he has time to achieve and acquire and seek wisdom and insight. So we see this with Rabbi Yonah, and I want to say it as well. It may be the Rabbi meant that, and maybe the, his version of economics, understanding of economics, stopped right there, and then it would be important for us to recognize that that is a strand of the Rishonim, that the only value of money is to have enough to survive. And once you have enough to survive, it is wrong to really try for more. And then, you know, once somebody has, I don't know what the number would be. Years ago, I read an article in the New York Times Magazine about people having in their heads a number. And the number is supposed to be the number which, at which point they say to themselves, oh, that would be enough for me to live forever, and then I could retire. But that, the article said, people really, whatever that number was for them, they really reached it. So I think at the time the number was supposedly 10 million. But the people who got to 10 million, all of a sudden didn't want to. So that, I think the rabbi would love, have loved that article because he would say, see, you get caught up in your money. But there is probably, there is, I believe, a way in which money is valuable and useful and helpful. So if you want to be able to give, if somebody's going to be able to give $100 million, uh, $200 million to some cause, and there are causes that absolutely need that much money to really get off the ground and to really be productive and useful, so then you need to have the money. So in that sense, that person would have had to make the money. So I don't know what the Rabbi would have said about that. He might have rejected it, but he might have agreed that if the purpose of making the money is to be able to build certain kinds of institutions or support certain causes or to... Or that in the acquiring of money and the giving out of money, that person acquires certain kinds of wisdoms. We'll see later in this chapter the kinds of wisdoms that Rabbi might have agreed are valuable. So then there may be room to say that even then it would be worth acquiring even more money than one needs just to be able to get by. And that's, you know, I'm talking in these big numbers, and so maybe some of my listeners don't have that much money. I don't know. But maybe, but it applies to anything. I mean, if I'm used to living off of $20,000 a year and I manage to get by, uh, and then the question would be, well, let's say all of a sudden I start making $50,000 a year. Does that mean that I should start working less? Or all of a sudden, in some way, I get a bequest which will provide me $20,000 a year. Does that mean that I should stop trying to make more money and continue living my life at that standard? The Rabbah might have said yes. But there is an argument to be made, and you have to balance it, and you have to be aware of the search for wisdom, both godly wisdom and other kinds of wisdom along the way. But there is an argument to be made that there is room to try to make more money as long as it's part of a project of bettering the world, bettering the world not in the secular sense, bettering the world in the sense of getting closer to Hashem, understanding how Hashem wants the world to be bettered. All of that might be part of wisdom that could be acquired with money, but it's a very big challenge because many, many people who are extremely wealthy or just have more than they need, and that could be at any level. You have what you need, what you're used to needing and acquiring, you have more than that. Many people do not use that for those purposes, and that's one of the dangers of wealth. Pasuk hey, when you look at it, you, you put your eye on it, and then you can't see it. This is a pasuk that is stressing the evanescence of all of these pleasures, how they just go away. And the Rabbag says, yeah, so what's the value of wealth? Because it, it'll easily be lost. So that's an important, I think, uh, important understanding, important ethic that we had lost in this country and thought that, well, no, once you have 100 million, 200 million, 500 million, a billion, never could lose that much money. It turns out you absolutely can so after it's telling us, the Rabbi says, after it tells us now to battle against our ta'ava, our desires, so now it's also going to tell us in one second, uh, it's telling us not to, in Pasuk Vav, also not to have, um, not to to allow ourselves to just take partake of a kilai, of a person who's stingy. 
right? So that's Pazagavav. So the first step was, the first five psukim were about controlling our ordinary desires, our desire for wealth and our ordinary desires for pleasure, because those are the kinds of things that are, that just go away, that they don't have any lasting value to them, and therefore we have to control those. Now it says, Don't eat in the same way with a person who is stingy, who is miserly, who doesn't have a good idea, who's not generous. And don't long for his tasty foods. And because he, it's like keeping an account, always having a, a checkbook open, always seeing the money dropping out of your bank account as you eat. Because he'll tell you eat and drink, but he doesn't really want you to. And you're going to eat the food, and then it's going to sit so poorly with you, it's going to come back up, and you're going to end up wasting all the nice words, all the nice things you said at the meal, because they're not going to have any value, because he's going to be not really um, pleased about your eating. And so the Rabag says that this could be, just to get in the general sense, that having a meal with a stingy person is, even if they pretend to be generous, even if they pretend to be excited about you, once you leave, they're going to be saying to themselves, look at him, he ate all the London boil, or whatever it is. They serve all this best food, and then they're not happy with you. So that's a, just stay away from that kind of an experience, from that kind of a, an interaction. But then the Rabag says, but I also think this is talking about, um, uh, that a ra'ayin is somebody who has an iyun ra. He has wrong deot, wrong understandings of the world, wrong foundations of ideas. And he says it because he doesn't think there is such a thing as a kilai who is so against, is so trying to hide his stinginess that he really serves you all this best food. So if you come to a house where they're really serving great food, probably there are generous people who are interested in having you there and enjoying having you there. So that's what Rabak says he thinks is probably generally true. If it is, it is. And he says, therefore, he thinks we're talking about a person who has just is very invested and very much enjoys physical pleasures and 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 if you hang out with such a person the Mishra is warning against us hanging out with such people and uh, interacting and socializing with such people not because they think ill of us but because in socializing with them they are going to destroy the lessons that we learn when we were young that were pleasant and right because they're going to tell you, oh no, just enjoy the pleasure, it's all about pleasure, it's all enjoyment, whereas the proper and appropriate person, as we've seen already, even just in this barrack, knows that pleasures are a subordinate value. They can have value, but they have value in terms of supporting our search for wisdom and our search for closeness with Hashem. So all of that will be a problem. So as far as Mishle is concerned, and now we move into a new part of the parak. as far as the Rabag is concerned, I apologize, as far as the Rabag is concerned, the first three parts of the parak were telling us first not to... Uh, that as we sit down, if we sit down to enjoy physical pleasures, we have to always be careful not to take too much of them because they will tend to lead us astray. The same is truth of, the same is true of wealth that it too will lead us in these wrong and inappropriate and problematic paths. And then also a kilai, either literally a stingy person, a person who doesn't really want us to enjoy the gifts he's giving us or the meal that he's serving us or, or a person not the pleasures themselves being important, but the person who supports the value of physical pleasures. Oh, what do you want to always kill yourself? Always be worried about Hashem. Always be thinking in those ways about whether I am serving Hashem or I'm not serving Hashem. It's so unpleasant to think that way. Just enjoy life. Enjoy a good meal. Enjoy a good vacation. Enjoy this. Enjoy that. Go to Florida. Go back from Florida. Go to Israel. Go to Europe. Go on a cruise. Just enjoy. So that, I think, is what the Bible will be saying, that even such people who are 
in their own understandings of what they're doing of the absolute best intentions. But they are dangerous because they lead us to question the disciplined life that Ralbag would assume we're trying to lead in terms of striving for and seeking understandings of the world and true wisdom, including wisdom about Hashem and understanding of Hashem and serving Hashem. So don't even talk to a kasil, words of wisdom, the Ralbag says, because you're going to denigrate them and, and turn them down, and, and because you're going to be talking about wisdom, hopefully, about wise things, and that's part of a kasil, that he is unable to appreciate them, and therefore it's not even worth speaking about them in front of them, because you'll just get um, denigrated. So don't break the boundaries of old, and do not encroach upon the field of orphans. The Ralbag understands the whole passage he was talking about about orphans' uh, property. Don't right. Don't break these boundaries. Don't think you'll just get away with it. So in the Ralbag, there's no attempt to explain how it connects to what came before. First, few psukim in the chapter were more connected, were more of a unit, but now it's the Pasuk telling you, so Rabbi Yonah in, the previous, in a previous chapter it said he doesn't understand why the Torah would, why Mishnah would bother just to repeat a prohibition in the Torah. The Rabbi doesn't address that issue here either. He just says that this is a Pasuk warning you that you might think that you can get away with this because they are defenseless. They are. That's part of what the tragedy to me is according to the Torah is they have nobody to stand up for them so don't think that you can get away with it. Because their Redeemer is in fact very strong and he will battle with you and that Redeemer as Rabbi points out as the Torah says is a Kaddish Baruch So Rabbi really just reads this to him ordinarily we don't have time to go further than that but it, it's interesting that he just accepts the fact that Mishle might just repeat for emphasis what the Torah already said. So the JPS has it as apply your mind to discipline and your ears to wise sayings. Uh, so Ral Bag thinks it's not just that you should, it's that your heart will. In other words, he thinks that we have a tendency, a natural tendency, if we only let our hearts go in the right direction to search for Musar, and he defines the Musar as philosophia hamidinit politics, the understanding of the way the society works and the way that it works to govern people. And then after that, once you get to that, so you'll start with, that'll just be a natural thing, to understand the way the world, the way a society works, and this is natural. And from there, you have to move on to move, to turn your ear towards uh, Da'at. And Da'at is the words of Chachamim and Evoni, will be more of the theological kinds of ideas about how to serve God and the right ways to serve God. But the, the Rabbag doesn't denigrate the first, doesn't uh, look down on the first. It's, the first is important and it's more natural to look at. It's just that it has to then lead you to the second. Don't refer, don't uh, hold back on disciplining uh, young people, young kids. If you hit him a little bit, it's not going to kill him. That, that, that's what it literally seems to mean. And the rabbi says, uh, he says not only that it won't kill him, it's that it will guide him. It will guard him from being killed. That will guard him from being killed because when you discipline him, he'll understand uh, the right way to act, and then the mortal parts of himself will not die because he will achieve eternal life by virtue of you having disciplined him, even though at the time that you discipline the child, him or her, they will not appreciate it, they will not like it, they will be upset. Nonetheless, that's what we have to do because it helps children grow in the right way and learn the right lessons. You'll hit him with a stick even. So with a stick is something you frowned upon today, and I would certainly support the idea that you're going to beat him too hard 
That's a problem. But the point being that a little discipline isn't bad for the child. It, in fact, teaches the child the right way to live and gives the child a longer life rather than less life. It's actually a positive for the child rather than a negative eventually. It can take time for the child to realize that, but that's what is going on, and therefore that is what Rabag is in favor of doing. If your heart becomes wise, then the hearts of your fathers, your parents, uh, those who are trying to teach you the right way, will also become happy. My insides will be, my thoughts will be so happy, will be so rejoicing when your lips start speaking in other words, that this is then three psukim about the question of educating our children and the feelings of a parent about the child being wise and achieving wisdom. As a thought, I issue wondering whether it's true of all parents, whether all parents always recognize when their child is achieving wisdom issues. Sometimes the parents don't because the parents themselves haven't achieved that wisdom. But the point being that if parents were to come to realize that the child is peculiarly becoming wise and acting wisely, the parents would rejoice and those who raise us rejoice and, and that's all about as I understand the Zion and therefore Al Yikane don't be jealous of sinners. Rather spend the whole day on Yirat Hashem, uh be seeking Yirat Hashem. So don't think to act like them because they, what they do has no acharit, it has no lasting value, it has no toilet, it has no real purpose. So rather you should be involving yourself in Yirat Hashem, and Yirat Hashem are those actions and those ideas and those uh, concerns that have real value to them and real lasting purpose to them. And therefore, uh, you should do those things all the time. Because if, one, if the things, if the actions that have, JPS says it as, for then you have a future and your hope will never fail. So that future issue, that issue of lastingness should be an extreme concern. And as we pick and choose what we're doing, that should be our standard. Is it something that's going to last in, uh, that we have expectation to have lasting value rather than just momentary pleasure? That is where we should be trying to focus the bulk of our energies. Listen to what I'm saying and you get wisdom. Let you lead your mind on a proper Path, Rabag says, Bideot Uvamidot, a pairing that we've seen in this paragraph for Rabag and others as well, that it's a combination of character and wisdom and understanding of the proper way to live. It's those two together that are essential to building this right kind of a life. Now, we come back to a very specific set of physical pleasures that Mishle singles out and the Rabag takes for granted are the ones that should be singled out. Don't be among those who guzzle wine or glut themselves on meat. So the English has it as for guzzlers and gluttons will be impoverished and drowsing will clothe you in tatters. So the Rabag understands it as that when that doesn't only mean don't actually do it, it means don't keep the company of those who do it. Because if you do it with them, you'll eventually lose all of your wealth, and you'll be left poor, and it's also telling you not to be lazy. So I find it, uh, Mishle does it, perhaps because the Torah does it, because uh, the, when the Torah talks about it, Ben Sovera Moreh, about this kid who's uh, just under the age of Bar Mitzvah, just hitting the age of Bar Mitzvah, and the Torah theoretically understands it to be possible that there would be a child who at so young would already be so involved in the pleasures of drinking wine and eating meat that they would steal money from their parents to buy 
eat meat or wine, and that the parents would have to bring him to court, and the court would flog him, and the kid would keep doing it, and the court would eventually put him to death. So that may or may not be a theoretical uh, case. It's a matter of debate in the Gemara. One opinion of the Gemara has it that such a thing never happened. The other opinion has it that it did happen, and that he sat on his grave. But singling out these pleasures is, to me, interesting, because if you thought today about pleasures that people indulge, we're going to get to sexual pleasures later in the chapter, but the question of wine, and so nowadays it might be beer, it might be other alcohols, but in, in the time of the Torah and the time of Mishlei, it was wine, and then today it might not only be wine, although there is still a strong wine component to alcoholic pleasures, um, and meat and physical pleasures as primary physical pleasures to in which people get extremely enveloped. So there's also a whole drug culture, but those are illicit. These are illicit pleasures in which people wouldn't feel the same need to resist or the same need to turn it down, perhaps not at the point of alcoholism. That we would understand as a problem. But before that, so people in, in, people invest many energies, put much of their energy into such things, into enjoying such things, having such things, spending time on such things. And it seems to me that Rabag is suggesting that that's a... Uh, an error and that we are making mistakes or that the Rambam is understanding Mishle to be saying that if you do that, so if you do that, you'll end up being poor perhaps economically. That's one issue. There couldn't certainly be people who spend too much of their money on such things and then will in fact uh, hurt their financial situation. But I think it's also true that aside from the financial situation, there are people who are going to uh, damage themselves in terms of wisdom issues and that they'll not get the wisdom they could have by virtue of these indulgences. Um, so these two took married together because the Rabag does. So the JPS has it as, Listen to your father who begot you. Do not disdain your mother when she is old. By truth and never sell it in wisdom, discipline, and understanding. The Rabag understands this to be a discussion of the fact that he knew of philosophers who felt that the only valuable wisdom is what you're born with, that acquired wisdom doesn't happen. So they compared the avicha to imach. Avicha is what you have as your pristine intellect, which gets you to study wisdom and to be involved in wisdom. And even though your mother, in the Rabbi's reading, is hanefesh hamargeshed, is the feeling part of you, and from there, the Rabbah, from the feeling part of you, the Rabbah says, you get to muskalot, you get to ideas, intellectual and important ideas, understandings of the world. He knew of philosophers who said that, but that part of understanding is really unimportant. It's the purely intellectual, it would be, theoret- it would be we would call it, let's say, a priori knowledge. I sit in a room, stare at a blackboard, and write down logical principles and logical ideas. That's real wisdom. I go out in the world and I enjoy an apple and I think about the way the world works or I think about a husband and wife's relationships or a parent-child relationship where I experience the world and I acquire wisdom from there. The Rabbah knew of people who would have rejected that knowledge and compared it to the mother side of ourselves. Rabbah says it's not true. He says he's proven in the, his other philosophical works and to his satisfaction anyway. We're not going to go to his proofs. I don't even know them. But that the achievement of truth if you achieve truth and you come to understand truth in these ways, that will also be, and he mentions politics again, right, the political truths, and understanding God, which is called Bina, the deepest insight, because all of that that you acquire is also part of who you will become. It will also be part of your eternal, your immortal soul. So the male-female parts of it interest me less here because they're not so relevant to what Black is saying, but it would theoretically carry over and suggest that just like the Rabbi is saying, Mishle says the, quote, female, unquote, parts of ourselves 
lead us to uh, true wisdom that lasts with us. So in his sense, it's a very, it's very far removed from what being male or female really means. But you could expand that argument to suggest that he would also have thought that just the feeling parts of ourselves have values in that they lead us to true wisdoms that will last with us as well, and that therefore they shouldn't be rejected. And that there might be a rejection by men in medieval, certainly medieval thought. There might have been rejection by men of their female sides, or like saying, those parts of those female sides that lead us to true ideas, understandings of the world, in ways that perhaps the male parts of ourselves would not have let us do, are equally valuable, equally vital, and become part of our eternal immortal souls, and lead us in these good paths as well. That the person who gives birth to a the father of a tzaddik, of a righteous person, or of a chacham, will always be extremely happy and excited about the way their progeny turned out. And Pazuk goes on the same way. Your mother and father will be happy with you and will rejoice in this person turning out this way. So that, in the simplest sense, is Mishnah saying that in fact parents enjoy when their kids turn out well. The Rabag says part of the reason they enjoy when the kid turns out well is because that will earn the child the providence of God, the supervision, as it were, of God, and therefore they'll be really excited because the child will be protected from evil things happening to them, either in the immediate sense or in the long-term sense, and that's what parents want. Parents want their children's lives to turn out well, whereas a Ben Kassil, the child who doesn't pay attention to these things, will not get that protection, and then the parents will not have that same feeling of rejoicing. Give your heart to me, my son, and my path that your eyes watch over. Said that the Rabbi says this is Really, what we're striving for in life is achieving various kinds of perfections, getting rid of physical pleasures. Not getting rid of them. Sorry, that's the wrong word. To distance ourselves from them, and it's because these pleasures uh, draw us more and more. And so he, and then he says, he doesn't say wine and meat like we saw before. He says it's wine which we saw before. And now we're coming up on another one, which is zanut, which is improper sexuality, because they lead you, they draw you in more and more. So that's what we're going to then spend some time thinking about in this parak and talking about is the dangers of an overconcern with sexuality. Because a harlot is a deep pit, a forbidden woman is a narrow well. And she too lies in wait as if for prey and destroys the unfaithful among men. And the Ralbag understands it is that she'll call people to have inappropriate relations. And it's well known, he says, and maybe it was true literally in his time, that she'll band together with, you know, this is a, I think it's a con game that used to exist even, or maybe still does exist for all I know, that she'd call him in and then the husband might pretend, that some guy will show up, pretend to be the husband, and he'll take money from the guy out of his embarrassment that he was caught committing adultery, even though she lured him into it, and the man would threaten to kill him, and maybe sometimes would actually kill him. So that's what he understands the psychology you're talking about, that that's what, what's going on. So that's as far as he takes it, but, but I think underlying this, although he doesn't say it as fully as I would have liked to, to make the point, but I think what he means is that it's also true that this kind of an instinct, this kind of a desire, 
uh, leads us to spend tremendous amounts of time. It's just if you think about American culture today, the amount of time being spent by various people on sexuality, often on inappropriate sexuality, and the numbers of people who are caught up in such sex scandals who will think that they are trying to do the right thing for the world. So I could be wrong, but as an example, I always thought that John Edwards really wanted to do what was best for the country, and he really wanted to help out on issues of poverty and the things that he spoke about. I could be completely wrong. It could be he only wanted power, and that's what it was. But it seemed to me that he had fairly sincere on these issues, or a, even a better example. It seems fairly clear that Bill Clinton, as power-hungry as he was, was also very interested in making the world a better place and really governing well. And yet, both of them are people who got caught up to varying degrees in scandals that had their origins and their inability and their control and their deep concern with their sexual side. So did it stop them from doing anything right? No. But it did stop them from achieving all that they might have. And so that, I think, is also part of what the Rabag would have said on these issues, that these physical pleasures need to be... Now, it doesn't mean they need to be completely uh, gotten rid of. It means they need to be channeled and controlled and used appropriately. So it's not, it's not saying you can't ever drink wine or you can't ever enjoy a proper engagement with sexuality, it's that these things are dangerous because they tend to draw us in more and more. Same thing with wine. So, um, so he says in Pesachamit, who are the people who have who cry woe, who cry alas, who have quarrels and complaints, and they have wounds without cause, and they have bullyry eyes. And the Pasuk says, Lame acharim alayayin, Pasuk laman, Lame acharim alayayin, Labaim lachkor mimsach. Labaim lachkor mimsach. Those whom one keeps still, till keeps till the small hours, those who gather to drain the cups. Right? They come to check out the very bottoms of the cups. So the they, they, the Rabbi has it as those who come to check which one is more important and they want to see and they want to taste and they get drawn in to this desire and it's going to be a reason that they'll spend all their time on this. It's going to lead to many evils, to many problems. In the extreme, in the most extreme version, it'll lead to all these things. But even in the less extreme versions, it'll lead to a dissolution of our energies or a using of our energies on these kinds of things. Bakos eno yitalech b'meisharim. Don't see wine when it gets at its at its reddest. Do not ogle that red wine as it lends its color to the cup as it flows on smoothly. The Rambam says that the good wine, so it sticks to the top of the cup a little bit, and you see the color up there, and it's telling you the fact that it looks so good shouldn't lead you astray. Acharito kenachashi shach uchetzifoni. Yafrish, because the end of it is like a snake, it's going to bite you, or like a basilisk, it's going to have it spit on you like a basilisk, because it's going to draw you in more and more to this pleasure, like a snake, and all these things, because it's going to lead to a lack of knowledge and a loss of knowledge. In the extreme version, a complete lack of knowledge and a loss of knowledge, but I don't think you have to go that far for the robot's point to be real, even if it's true that you lose a night drinking. For no good reason. You might say, I have so often, I have to have a night, I have to relax, I have to then, what's the matter? But I think that the Rabbi is saying that these things are the kinds of pleasures which tend to draw you in. One night becomes two nights, becomes three nights, and then you end up losing tremendous amounts of time and energy that could have been put to these positive values and purposes that we're really supposed to be living for and about. Your eyes will see strange sights, your heart will speak distorted Things are going to lead you in the wrong paths. And you're going to be like, 
lying on bed on the high seas, like one lying on top of the rigging is what the English has, although it's not sure, but it's something about the ship. And what the Rabbi Gosh says it means it's going to be like, it's going to uh, destroy your intellect, like if you're on a ship, and on a ship you have a problem because you sit at Rosh Hashanah, it, the, the motion of the ship, I think it means, makes you more seasick than other places. And you see the sea moving and the the speed of the motion Lead you not to be able to think, not to be able to focus well, and that's what the wine is going to be, do, is be doing to you as well, and therefore you have to avoid it. And then, and then the, almost the worst part of it is that you, the person says, they struck me, but I felt no hurt, they beat me, but I was unaware. As often as I wake, I go after it again. That the, the, the dangers, or one of the dangers of the drunkenness is that it's going to, uh, it's going to, um, get you into such a mood that you won't even feel the pain that you're suffering for these things. You're not going to notice it. You're not going to care about it. And you're going to have all this pain. And yet you're going to want more wine. You're going to say, oh, what can I stop being this? Meaning even while you're still drunk, you're going to say, when will this drunkenness leave me so that I can get onto my next drunkenness? It's almost like there's some story I read years ago about a guy, his father's an alcoholic and the man is very upset. And so at one point when the father is sober, he shows him a guy in the street who is lying in the mud, uh, drunk, who's lying in the mud and rolling around because he's so drunk he doesn't even know what's going on. And the son is hoping that showing this to the father will get the father to realize what he does and he'll say, oh, I can't do that anymore. Whereas instead, the father runs over to this drunk and he says, tell me, tell me. Could be that story is told with the father trying to do it for his son. But in any case, whoever's trying to do it, the the drunk runs over to the other drunk and says, tell me, tell me, where can I get such good wine that would lead me to roll around in the mud and not care? So that's what uh, the psukim here are suggesting as well, that you get so involved in these pleasures that you just want more and more pleasure, and that clearly leads us astray, leads us from our better purposes and the things that we really should be striving for. So that is the parak today. A focus on the kinds of, uh, of the kinds of friends we need to avoid having and the kinds of endeavors we need to avoid getting involved with because they will lead us and distract us from our true work, from what we're really trying to strive for and achieve in life. Have a great day.